back, everybody. You're listening to another episode of Drive Into the Basket. I am Mike, your host, and I hope you're all doing great today. So this is going to be the, I suppose, two and a half player review episode, if you're counting the Killian episode as sort of one half. And this one, we're going to be talking about Boyan Bogdanovich. So Boyan was acquired last summer in exchange for Kelly Olenek, Saban Lee, and a little bit of cash. Uh, the Jazz allegedly had some offers of late first-round picks, but did not want to take on salary, wanted to, to actually dump salary in order to duck the luxury tax. They had gone into a rebuild that summer, having traded away Rudy Gobert for one of the most, it's just an awful, awful trade for the Minnesota Timberwolves, and Donovan Mitchell to the Cleveland Cavaliers. You got Danny Ainge there, the man who loves to stockpile his picks. Uh, in any event, so sent Boyan to Detroit, and uh, he came in and surprised, basically had the best season of his career. So uh, let's talk a little bit about that. So Boyan, this last season, 21.5 points, 4 rebounds, 2.5 assists on 49-41-88 shooting, uh, 54% from two-point range. So Boyan, uh, for me, was a big surprise. He came in and he had his biggest offensive role in his career and uh, certainly made the most of it at the age of my turn 34, I think a little bit after the season or thereabouts. Uh, excuse me. And yeah, he, he had the best season of his career. He was a very, very impressive offensive presence for the Pistons and just a three-level guy. Really, really, really just, just had a, a very, very good offensive season and was extended not long after the season began. He was under contract uh, for next year at around $20 million, the same salary as he was at uh, in his last contract. And then his second year of his extension is guaranteed for a very small amount. So uh, let's talk stats. So the man started incredibly well, 72% true shooting in October uh, for those eight or nine games, around 50% from three. Uh, he slowed down in November from at least in three-point range, the tune of 30%, but still was near 60% true shooting. Uh, around 62% true shooting in, in December and January. Uh, and just like in um, in February, he he got down to 32% from three and still, again, 60% true shooting. I mean, this is a very, very efficient score. So ultimately would miss the final month of the season in part because, you know, he got sort of hurt, but also the Pistons just had really no reason to play him. They were fighting for, for very, very bad draft odds at the time. And him not being in the lineup was one of the reasons why the Pistons only won two of their final, uh, like, 21, 22 games. And, uh, yeah, because pretty much, well, it was game 64 onward, and they won, yeah, two of their last 19. It was a tough second half of the season for the Pistons, partly by design, at least toward the end of it. So let's go back to stats. So Boyan, really a three-level scorer and a strong creator for the Pistons, but not a creator necessarily in the traditional sense because he was just expert at finding his opportunities in the flow of the offense. But let's just talk about some of the other characteristics of, of his scoring. 49% on four uh, two-point pull-up attempts per game, so a strong pull-up shooter. As I've said before, there are not many guys in the NBA who can do that. Your efficiency threshold in the half court is around 48%. That's where you want to be if you're, if you're attempting these pull-up two-pointers. And uh, he, you know he met that on, on a fair amount of volume. Didn't take many pull-up threes. He was only 33% on those, though that's that's a fair mark on pull-up threes. That's a difficult shot. You look at, for example, Luka Doncic, who shoots in the kind of low to mid-30s uh, from three-point range, and that's because he takes an enormous volume of pull-ups. So 45.5% uh, on spot-offs in three-point range. 
uh, on wide open threes, depending on which page you look on, on NBA.com. Uh, he either shot 48% or 50% on wide open threes. Uh, needless to say, he's a fantastic mark. One of the best spot-up shooters in the league. You know, this he, he just had a fantastic season as a floor spacer. Uh, one of the league's just elite play finishers. He was surprisingly strong at drawing free throws. He was top 40 in the league in free throw attempts per game at 5.1. Uh, that's definitely no joke, especially considering the difference between uh, number 40. and He was 38th and 20 is one free throw attempt per game. So 5.1 versus 6.1. Also, ninth and three-point percentage if you're looking at players who attempted four free throws per game or more at 88.4%. So good at getting to the line and, and excellent at scoring there. Shot 66% in the restricted area, about 48.5% from mid-range overall, uh, and also in the paint outside the restricted area. Again, those are efficient numbers on on shots that are that difficult to make efficient. So... Just as a whole, yeah, one of the league's elite play finishers, a guy who doesn't actually hang on to the ball that long. Last season, there was the occasional Casey Iso of, you're my veteran guy, take the ball and please score with it. But for the most part, he just expertly played within the flow of the offense like he always has. About half of his field goal attempts were on two, two dribbles or less, averaged only three seconds per touch, which was sixth on the team uh, behind the four guards, would be Killian, Cade, Ivy, and Corey Joseph. And... Just in my opinion, yeah, he's just, he's super, super smart. He's savvy. He's not athletic at all, but he gets the rim off the dribble just by being smart, being shifty, rarely by attacking, again, rarely by attacking in isolation, but just generally in the flow of the offense. Uh, He's not really a guy who initiates from the perimeter and hangs onto the ball. He's doing most of his stuff from off-ball movements, catching the ball in stride before attacking the rim or shooting from mid-range or just attacking closeouts when he's not, you know, actively finishing from the perimeter. No slouch as a passer either. He passes when he has to. He's not a black hole. But, uh, you know, I know there was some criticism of Boyan for not passing, but if you're able to finish plays at a, at a very efficient clip, you know, there's it's not an issue that you're not passing the ball. I mean, if you're depriving other players of more efficient opportunities, that's a different story. But, you know, if, if, you're, if you're just scoring very, very efficiently, you know, why pass? I mean, that's, that's just kind of what, what you do. It's about getting good, efficient looks for your team. And Boyan, for the most part, was not passing. He was not a black hole. You know, if he was taking the shot, he was most often making it. So here's how Boyan operates if you watch him play. Again, super smart guy. Knows where to go. Knows where to be. Almost invariably makes the right decision on offense. He is he's very, very, very cerebral. And he just, he, he finds his spots. He's good at getting open. You know, sneaky good at getting open. He, you know, for example, you see a lot of his drives to the basket, a lot of his his shots that he attempts at the rim. He catches the ball in stride uh, after having, you know, curled around an off-ball screen or just, you know, finding a good way to move that gets him open. And it's just a couple dribbles. And then he scores with, you know, his typical like three inches of space to spare from below the basket. It's just not easy to score like that as a guy who is as unathletic as Boyan is. I mean, he is not like a horrible NBA athlete, but he's definitely down there. Not explosive, not fast, you know, not a good leaper by any means, but he's just so smart. So he'll catch the ball in stride that way. And, uh, you know, if he has to pull up for a mid-range shot, then he'll do it and he can make that efficiently enough. But often he would get to the rim and he scored at a high percentage there or just getting open around the three-point line. I mean, that doesn't sound like much of a skill, but He's smart at finding his way into open shots. For some reason, Brett Hull is coming to mind. It's kind of like a hockey equivalent. Brett Hull was always excellent at just 
floating into good positions in the slot with nobody noticing him, you know, especially in the power play, but just in general. Obviously, Boyan is not, you know, the basketball equivalent of Brett Hull, who is one of the great, you know, greatest hockey players of all time. Also, shout out one of, you know, won a Stanley Cup with, uh, with the Pit, with the Pistons, with the Red Wings in 2002. So, but Boyan just has the knack of getting himself open and, and just being in the right place to, to either catch that ball in stride or to be open from three. And again, just deadly vicious three-point shooter when left open, when, you know, when left wide open and, you know, not the guy to leave wide open. And just an excellent floor spacer, absolutely elite. And if you close out on him, uh, he's going to just dribble past you. And there's a pretty darn good chance that he's going to score off that drive. Uh, he can pass when it's merited. Again, he, I mean, he was a very dedicated play finisher for the Pistons last season as more or less the primary option when he was on the floor after Cade went down. Uh, Ivy really, I mean, Ivy had a much better second half of the season than first half of the season. When he really started, you know, when he really had his good games, a lot of those were after Boyan left the lineup, which was, you know, around the beginning of March. Boyan, he was a valuable presence for, you know, for the youth in that, you know, you could rely on him to just take the ball and get a bucket when nobody else could. And I just, I think he was a stabilizing presence. Again, he's a guy who makes the right decision. He was not a usage sucker. He's just, he's expert at working and just getting the most he possibly can from within the flow of the offense. This is not Jeremy Grant and his two years when, again, this is just something that Dwayne Casey loved. Hey, insert, you know, go-to veteran here. Just take the ball and score with it. You know, I'm not going to coach you. <laughs> again, with Grant, he, he played at his best and at his most within the flow of the offense in his last couple of months with the season, uh, with the Pistons, excuse me, because Troy Weaver talked to him about, playing more efficiency uh, proficiently Dwayne Casey had not done that and is just thrilled to have one of these go-to veterans who can just hand the ball and say you know do it do something with it so yeah that wasn't Boyan and here's why you know I know there's talk like the Pistons should trade the guy you know because you know he's got some value he's on the older side and you know you get what you can for him right now and I strongly disagree with that. I think that this is an ideal player on offense. And let's talk about his defense a little bit first. Um, Boyan is a pretty poor defender. I don't think he's a disaster by any means. And Utah, though this was partly Gobert, was able to, to have a pretty darn good defense even with him on the floor. He's not a guy you put on there and you just have to worry that he's going to completely fall apart. And though he was part of those two like really bad Utah offenses that flunked in the postseason— in 2021 and 2022, I think. But it really didn't help that Donovan Mitchell and, and Bryce O'Neal were turnstiles in those, in those playoffs either. I mean, Boyan's kind of a guy who's, who's going to be sort of okay if you have him on the floor with guys who are not awful defensive liabilities. You know, generally when you put a couple of defensive liabilities in the floor together, they get just kind of they compound the impact. It's just they, they both have a greater negative impact upon the defense. Now, am I saying that he's a reliable defender? No. Boyan does not have very good defensive IQ, which is weird for a player who's, who's as smart as he is on offense. He works hard, but he's not athletic. He's going to struggle to keep with guys who are considerably faster than he is. He doesn't rotate well. Uh, he, he obviously can't play help side rim defense because he can't jump. And he's a minus defender. There's, there's absolutely no mincing words about that. I, I do strongly disagree with the notion that he is just a disastrous defender whose mere presence is going to unhinge the defense or that he gives 
back as much on defense as he gives on offense. I don't agree with those. Again, I think he's if he's on the floor with reasonably good defenders with the Pistons next season, then is he going to be an awful defensive liability? No. As long as you know, again, if he's on the floor with guys who are just awful, it's a different story. Now, I know there are some traumatic memories from the first part of the season in which the front court, and this was just awful. Like, this was just terrible and should never have happened. You know, start Duran from game one if you have to. The front court of Isaiah Stewart, Sadiq Bey, and Boyan Bogdanovich, which was incredibly unathletic, undersized, and both Boyan Aminas was himself on defense and Sadiq Bey for reasons that remain entirely unclear to me. Maybe he just stopped caring. It seems like the kind of uh, maturity that he had, did, beyond his years, maturity had shown in his first two seasons kind of fell apart. But he downgraded himself from serviceable defender, who I thought had had solid defensive potential given his his smarts and his you know his pretty quick feet, to really bad. And so you've got like two pretty poor defenders at forward. Your center, who's Isaiah Stewart, who is generally a strong defender. It was made substantially worse by the fact that, I mean, you, you put the two of those and Ivy next to him, and suddenly he's got to be repositioning like Matt in the interior, and Isaiah Stewart doesn't have the athleticism to both reposition and challenge. He can do one or the other, though, of course, you know, challenge, he's not good at challenging when the play is behind him either. So he'd reposition, but then he couldn't jump. People would just score over him. Not ideal. So... Yeah, if you put Boyan out there in an awful defensive lineup, he's he's going to hurt you. But, you know, even if he were a solid defender, I think that lineup may have struggled quite a bit, but he's not. So minus defender, but if he's not in a horrible defensive lineup, I don't think his, his defense is, is like a game changer. He's not one of those guys, a game changer in a minus way, in a negative way. He's not one of those guys who's just absolutely and utterly horrible like Marvin Bagley where it's just you can't really trust him on defense because you know he's going to make a bad decision eventually. He just can't process it well. He just, he just can't process the game on defense. But uh, definitely a minus there. But like I said, I, I just don't agree that he's so bad that he gives back everything on, on defense that, that he gives on offense. I think he is nonetheless a, going to be a, a positive contributor. And you look at the, the lineup the Pistons are likely to field to start the season next uh, next year. Jalen Duran, who I think will be considerably improved on defense. Isaiah Stewart, who's more just average as a power is as a defender, a power forward, but is definitely compared to Sadiq Bey, is, is of last season is a great deal better. Cade, who's who's a solid defender uh, at the guard spots, can switch up the forward if he has to, because he's got the size and the strength to do so. Uh, Ivy's the other question mark there. Uh, he admitted last season that he was really bad. He was none too pleased with himself about the about you know about it on defense, and sometimes. He would literally be turned in circles trying to figure out where he was supposed to go. Not for lack of of effort by any means. He was he worked super hard on both ends. It was one of the things I loved about Ivy. I mean, the guy has the work ethic and the drive without a doubt and, and expects a lot from himself. But yeah, basically, I don't think that putting Boyan out there is, is just going to give you a bad defense. I know I'm sort of repeating myself here. But uh, let's talk about why I think that it would be not a great idea. To, to trade away Boyan. Number one, you don't want to put your young players, particularly Kate and Ivy, in a position in which they are responsible for creating everything. Ivy has one season in the league. Kate has a total of 84 games in the league. These are young players. They And, and that's, that's just a big responsibility to put on top of two young players. And I know that there's this philosophy out there of just, you know, give them the, the, give them the, the responsibility and let them adapt to it. 
it's not quite as simple as that. You know, at number one, you I just said number one. In the first place, you don't want. I mean, you want to make life easier on these guys. Like you want. You don't want it to be. I mean, you have that uh, another creator and boy on a veteran creator, also just a guy. Like basically a guy defenses need to pay attention to also, and a lot of attention to. Makes like life easier on Kate and Ivy. And in situations when Kate and Ivy are really struggling, having somebody else to fall back on is nice so that you're not just having them ram their heads against a wall again and again, which is not good for winning games and is not good for their confidence. So it's just, I just don't think it's ideal to just throw everything on their shoulders. That is a lot to ask from them. And I think they can use the help, basically. Also, just in the in the larger context of the offense, you have Boyan to serve just as an offensive release valve when things are going badly. You know, again, when Cade and Ivy are struggling, and just when you need somebody to create something, so you 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 know you have Boyan there. Boyan gives you, and it's worth noting, Boyan Bogdanovich is a twenty point per game three level creator in the NBA. This guy is no slouch. There aren't many guys like that. He's an, he's extremely efficient, and he's he's good for most everywhere. Again, he's not kind of a guy who's just going to put you in isolation. And, and drive to the nets and, and score. He operates more within the flow of the offense, but he's a strong scorer. That should not be understated. So when things aren't going well, then you have him as a release valve. When things are going reasonably well, you still have him as another option that that defenses really need to pay attention to. He's an elite floor spacer. Kate and Ivy, you're going to want maximum spacing around them. And it doesn't, <laughs> for very, very, very few players, does it get better than Boyan. He is just a fantastic shooter. He's absolutely killer if you leave him open. And he'll just attract a great deal of attention at the three-point line. Uh, you know, again, you just, you gotta be, you gotta know where he is. And, and that makes him great at spacing the four because you gotta have a guy out in the perimeter guarding him. You know, it's sort of, and if you're forced to close out on him, not athletic again, but he's very likely going to get to the rim and score on you. And uh, he likes to do it. He likes to attack closeouts. So, if you want that spacing and business need that spacing, guy uh, for Caden Ivy to, to also pass the ball to to finish plays for them, Boyan's ideal there. He's one of the best spacers, four spacers in the league last season and is just perennially strong at it. He's a guy who, just in the first place, is the Pistons focus more on winning games next season. And for the record, I know that it, it's been said that the Pistons are, you know, that the, the priority is going to be winning games. I mean, priorities, there's still going to be a lot of, I'm quite certain, a lot of priority placed on development. The difference this season is that guys will not be given an infinite leash. You're not going to have Killian Hayes coming in and playing f- dozens of games and being absolutely horrible, and he just gets to continue doing it. You know, he's, he's going to be fighting for minutes in the first place, but Marvin Bagley, is, he's going to be fighting for minutes too. He's not, I think he was a guy, Dwayne Casey, pointed at in particular and said, you know, he, he struggled and players are not going to be allowed to play through their mistakes next season. Though maybe I'm misremembering, though he certainly said that in general, that players are not going to be, not going to have the opportunity to play through mistakes next season like they have been. So he's a player who will help you win games because he is a strong scorer. He provides good veteran leadership. We heard a lot last season about how he was a loud voice, you know, a loud veteran leader out in the court. And uh, I'm not sure if we heard in the locker room, but yeah, we, we definitely heard about what he was doing on the court. And it's just the savvy veteran presence for a team that currently has very little of it. And I would say when it comes to players like Cade and Ivy, uh, sure, I mean, if you in a perfect world, you'd have a stronger defender. But I'd say that Boyan is kind of like the uh, one of the perfect players to put alongside him because he's a player who doesn't need the ball. 
He doesn't really initiate plays so much. He does not by any means a heavy possession player. He's a guy who just, I'll say this again, is just an absolute expert at playing within the flow of an offense and finding high percentage opportunities within the flow of an offense, whether that's from the perimeter, uh, from mid-range off the drive, at the rim off the drive. He knows where to go and what to do. He's he's not only going to make Caden Ivy's life easier as initiators attacking, you know, attacking in the interior. He's going to allow them to do more by having a guy to pass the ball to who's going to be able to maximize the gravity that they attract in order to finish plays at a high percentage. I mean, what's not? To, I'd ask what's not to like about Boyan next to Caden Ivy. This is not, for example, having like the likes of Jeremy Grant, who at least under Casey, though he certainly didn't do this in Portland, was just going to be sucking usage. And, and becoming kind of a black hole who just, you know, who didn't really pass the ball that much. You know, a lot of uh, bad offense uh, from mid-range in particular. There's nothing about Boyan that will make him conflict at all with Caden Ivey as ball handlers. Uh, it's just, it, it's not his style. He is not a high, you know, a high volume handler. He is a play finisher. And it may look like he's a handler because he does some, you know, he ends up attacking the rim a fair amount. But Again, he's doing that within the flow of the offense, and it's just something he's great at and and savvy at and smart. And if you want to talk about, I don't know if I've ever like held to the notion of of mentorship in the NBA. I think it's it's helpful to have veteran leaders, but but it's like you know, well, I'll teach you how to play the game. I mean, that's I, I don't think that's it, it's like some guys. I mean, the NBA with um, a standard of talent being so high. I mean, uh, generally, if you're going to be a successful player, you either have it or you don't. It's not here. I'm going to teach you how to play the game. Uh, a lot of it's just based on the on the skill that that players have. But I don't know that that's a different story. But it definitely sets a good example in terms of the decisions he makes on offense. So again, uh, I just there's so much he offers. He's he's not going to he offers to to the offense in general and and also in terms of just making the lives of Kate Cunningham and Jaden Ivey easier and allowing them to be more effective and doing so without conflicting with them in the, in terms of handling the ball at all. Uh, like my question is just what's not to like about Boyan's fit here. And in terms of what you could get by trading him, uh, I think that his value to the Pistons at this point, just in what he can provide and in, in the context of running a functional offense next season and, uh, and just making life more palatable uh, for the team's principles, the uh, the principal young players they want to develop. I mean, that's sure it's not getting you tangible trade value, but I think that's providing good tangible value to the rebuild, and and also again for a team that is hoping to win more games next season. I think that Boyan, because his defense is pretty poor, has less value, and also because he'll have a smaller role on a playoff team, just has less value on there because his defense is going to hurt more and you know for putting him in a postseason situation also just this is offense will be less impactful if he's playing next to guys who are i don't know like i've heard um you know say the idea of of trading Boyan to to the dallas mavericks but you have luca who's you know arguably the you know the premier heliocentric guy in the nba today and Kyrie, who you know is a solid off-ball player really but it's going to eat up a lot of usage too. It's just Boyan's role in that offense. The amount of field, the number of field goals he's going to be taking will be significantly less. That means his offensive impact is significantly less. And then his defense is just the the ratio there 
in terms of yeah, what you are losing from having him on the floor there, especially because that's a bad defensive team. Kyrie's a minus defender. Luka's a minus defender. Who knows? Maybe thin Luka this season will be a better defender. But I don't know. I'm not holding my breath. So yeah, you're, re- you're reducing his offensive impact, which is, you know, a- as a result, indirectly going to you know, emphasize he's just, he's providing less on offense while still costing a certain amount on defense. And for the Mavericks, I got to think, you know, you're, you're supplementing an area of strength while emphasizing an area that is already weak. I know we heard a little bit about, you know, him, uh, some trade discussions, with the Mavericks, but trade discussions, I would guess in the majority of situations don't actually go anywhere. So uh, I, I don't doubt there are a lot of exploratory inquiries and, and, discussions that really just never get off the ground and that they're I'd be shocked if they if those didn't outnumber successful trades by a great deal so a guy who can offer value again can offer value in the rebuild is he's not just a guy where it's like yeah we don't you know we don't need him he's not going to help us you know it's the we're not going to make probably not making the postseason in the now so why keep him trade him for a draft asset I just I really disagree with that line of thinking because yeah, like I said, I, I think he provides value in the now to, to a rebuilding team that's, that can really benefit from his presence. As far as why not to trade him, I mean, I already I just went over why the person should keep him. Let's think about what you're losing if you trade away Boyan. You're losing an elite floor spacer on a team that desperately needs shooting. You're, you know, who's coming into the starting lineup in that situation? You bring Alec Burks in. Okay, fine. You know, he can provide good floor spacing. He is not Boyan's equal. I mean, as a shooter, Burks was pretty darn good last season. He's not Boyan's equal as a creator by any means. Again, Boyan last season, he was in a higher usage role than he's likely to occupy with both Cade and Ivy in the lineup. But, I mean, he was a, like I said, 20-point-per-game, like, three-level guy last season. That is not something to scoff at. You know, he's, he's a significantly better scorer than Alec Burks, and you bring Alec Burks also into the starting lineup and you're losing a lot of heft off the bench, but you, you know, you're also losing one of your two really elite elite shooters. So you're, you know, you're losing everything that I talked about in terms of you know, why the Pistons should keep him, but yeah, you get rid of him. All the onus for creation comes on Kate and Ivy. They have one less play finisher. They have that much less spacing. They, you're losing his veteran leadership it's just uh, my guess is that it would hurt the offense pretty significantly. I know that there's some hope that Asar Thompson will start. Uh, and Asar, just like with almost any other perimeter player, you know, with our exceptions that we're looking at are like Giannis, Jimmy Butler, you know, maybe a couple of others. Uh, I don't really count Draymond Green there. But if Asar can't shoot, he, it's going to be extremely difficult for him to be a positive contributor on the floor. Shooting is one of these things where it's like, it's not going to make you a good player on its own. So, I mean, it's not like, oh, I have it. I'm going to be good. But it very much is. I don't have it. I'm most likely going to be a negative value player. You know, I, I don't really want to think, especially with Duran in the lineup, you feel two non-shooters. Hardly anybody can get away with that. Maybe if you've got like the talent of, of the uh, Durant era Warriors, or even the current Warriors, I suppose, or the... Uh, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden, Nets, or even just even just the two of Kyrie and, and Kevin Durant, then you can get away with it. But for everybody else, it really hurts. I don't think that Boyan being in the lineup is going to hinder Asar Thompson's development. I think Asar is, let's say he comes in next season and he's ready to go. I think, which would be an outcome, of course, that all of us would be thrilled at. He comes in and 
he's a reliable enough a three-point shooter when left wide open it's like fantastic he's coming to the starting lineup and you know as long as they feel that that he's ready to receive that level of responsibility and it's not going to be kind of overwhelming him early on which isn't ideal it's not always ideal for a guy to you know you just you bring him on and you play him 35 minutes a night when he's just coming into the league but if he's ready if he comes into training camp and it's like wow you've revamped your shot you're reliable from three he plays well in preseason I think the guy he'd be replacing in the starting lineup is the person who is, I think, likely has to line up next to Boyan on forward, which is Isaiah Stewart. Uh, I'll talk about Stewart more his season, uh, and you know when I talk when I do his episode, when I do the episode about about his uh, his season. Don't think that Stewart is ever going to be an ideal fit at power forward just because of his athletic limitations, which are much more painful at power forward than they are at center. And it's also just a position that kind of minimizes his strengths while emphasizing his weaknesses. I love Stewart, and you know it's you can really think highly of players who you know who are not stars. Like I've said, the vast majority of players in the NBA are role players, and role players are important. So let's say Asar is ready to go. I think you move Boyan to power forward, and you put Asar at small forward, or the other way around. I think Boyan, just as a defender, is even though we are in a very switch happy league, is better suited to defend power forwards. He's not a good defender at the position he is not a good rebounder fortunately Asar is I think going to be a pretty darn good rebounder for his size because the guy can really sky he gets up there and uh and you know he works hard there I think that uh, eventually and it rarely happens in a player's first off season that he puts on a bunch of strength but you can but you can pretty regularly see it in off season number two when guys really bulk up quite a bit and if Asar puts on another 10 pounds, I think you can fairly well run him 10, 15 pounds here. I think you can fairly well run him at power forward and, and have him do pretty well between his, uh, you know, he's already a strong player, between what would be, you know, like 225, a, a pretty hefty player even at, I mean, power forwards are, are not huge anymore. 10 years ago, power, a lot of power forwards were just smaller centers, pretty bulky guys who often couldn't shoot. And four years later, you know, if we're talking 2013, four years later, all these guys were either centers, shooters, or out of the league. So, yeah, I, I don't think Boyan is standing in Asar's way at all. It, if Asar can shoot this season, quite confident he'll be a starter. And if he can't, then he shouldn't be a starter. It's not going to be good for him. It's not going to be good for Caden Ivey. It's not even going to be good for Jalen Duran, who's going to enjoy pretty bad spacing, you know, alongside Caden Ivey. And I've seen it asked, you know, will Asar's defensive contributions you know, just be enough. Why not put him in there and the Pistons would be a much better defense? Uh, well, I mean, number one, it's very unlikely to put a guy in there and into a bad defense and have it improve quite that much. But number two, more importantly, just not being able to shoot is such a painful thing in the NBA. The NBA meta is incredible, you know, to put it one way, is incredibly intolerant to non-shooters in the perimeter. It's the ability to shoot is too valuable and the ability, the inability to shoot is too damaging. Those two come together. If you're a really bad shooter, it doesn't matter if you're Andre Roberson, who was a great defender, or Matisse Thybul, who was, again, a very good defender. You're going to have issues. It's going to be very hard, especially in today's NBA, in today's offensive-focused NBA, for you to be a positive value player. So my answer to that question would be no. So uh, on the season, uh, I'd give Boyan an A-. minus. I mean, on, on offense, you give the guy an A or an you know, very high grade because he was he was genuinely impressive on uh, very impressive on offense. Yeah, you'd lose him some uh, some points on defense, but the thing is, the Pistons were not in the business of winning games this season. This was always going to be develop and good get good draft odds. So 
I don't feel too bad about his defense being pretty poor. And he was just so good on offense for this team that I'd have a hard time giving him a grade lower than that. Uh, I hope I'm not dealing with some inconsistency here in terms of uh, in terms of grading. Again, I think that his the impact of his poor defense was emphasized by him being on the floor with one or more remark. You know, also you know pretty darn poor defenders. And I, I think that'll be it'll be less so. That'll be less of a thing with the Pistons uh, going into next season. So that'll be it for today's episode. Uh, as always, folks, want to thank you all for listening uh, and for your support. Just uh, really enjoy and appreciate hearing from from those of you who reach out with feedback and uh, and, and with kind words. And yeah, uh, just just always very happy to hear from from any of you, whether that be on on Discord, uh, on Reddit, on Twitter, really wherever. So, all right, folks, I will catch you in next week's episode. Be well, and I hope you all have a great week.